What you're hearing is the sound of an anonymous leak. It's a tape of a private encounter on the golf course at President Trump's exclusive Mar-a-Lago resort between President Trump and the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel. What happens next is very revealing. Mr. President, the Chancellor says thank you for inviting her to watch you play golf and... It's okay. No need to translate. You speak German? I speak perfect German. Terrific German. I love Germany, by the way. I love the Germans. The Germans love me. I respect Germany so much you wouldn't believe it. Right. It's probably still best if I translate. There's no need, I just said. Uh, okay then, Mr. President. Um, are you going to reply to the Chancellor in German? I think she said everything that needs to be said. Now, watch me tee off. This baby is going straight down the middle of the fairway. Like I said, straight down the middle. We still don't know where that leaked tape came from. It could have been a source inside the CIA or possibly a passing tourist. But whatever its provenance, it gives an interesting insight into the mind of the leader of the free world. It takes us where we want to go. Inside Donald Trump. We have no absolute guarantee, of course, that the leaked tape of Trump and Merkel is authentic. But we felt that it should be aired regardless on the grounds of public interest. We also asked Dr. Sarah Pettigrew, a behavioural psychologist attached to the University of Syracuse, to analyse what's on the tape. Well, the president's behaviour clearly demonstrates a personality that is terrified by the idea of showing any inadequacy or weakness. And this terror means that he must constantly present himself as successful, effective, superior. And this causes an impetuous show of overconfidence in his ability to convince others that his version of reality is real. You're saying that he lives in his own world. Yes, but he expects us to go and live there with him. And when this kind of personality doesn't get what it wants, then, well, let's just say it's not what you want in situations that require calm or good judgment. So, what was your reaction when he was elected president? I went out and bought a lot of canned food. But is this downbeat reading of the president's psyche a little bit pat? Are we all in danger of seeing him as a crude cartoon rather than a complex, multifaceted human being? Nigel Farage certainly thinks so. He spoke to us by phone. Well, there's definitely a lot more to him than the caricature presented by the media. But they just don't get him. You know, they never have, they never will. Well, that's very interesting, Mr Farage, but I'm curious as to how you got this number. Only... Well, it's my understanding that you're making a documentary about the real Donald Trump. That's right. Well... I don't have many windows, but I could probably fit you in for a full-length interview, say, around... No, it's, it, it's OK, Mr Farage. We don't actually need to talk to you. What? We've got lots of contributors already, so... You're making a programme about the Donald without me in it? Yes. All right, joke over. <laughs> yeah, look, I can fit you in next. No, uh, seriously, we're fine, thanks. Oh, I get it. I'm being censored, aren't I? Another establishment stitch-up. No, no, it's not censorship. It's just that everyone knows your take on President Trump and we just don't think your contribution would be particularly valuable. 
It's Piers Morgan, isn't it? You've got Piers bloody Morgan. Uh, no, we... He doesn't know the Donald the way I do. Well, that's... Doesn't know him at all. Has he sat in a golden jacuzzi with him at three in the morning? I don't think so. Well, I... Has Piers ever been invited to play Guest Melania's Brass Size or Pin the Tail on Sean Spicer? I doubt that very much. Y uh, yeah. Has he massaged his feet? Oh. Actually, Mr Farage, we're very busy, so if you don't mind, we... Well, I can come to you if that's a problem. No, 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 really, it's... I'm not that far away. We know. You're just outside. We can see you on our security camera. Well, I just had to be passing, you know. I'm in the general area, and... Uh... At that point, sadly, the line went dead. But is there any truth in the charge that Donald Trump has been crudely mischaracterised by the media? In the amoral maze that is fake news, it's so hard to get at the truth. Perhaps to fully understand the man, we need to explore the forces that have helped to shape him. During his early business career, Donald Trump forged a close bond with corporate lawyer Roy Cohn, who he viewed as his mentor. Mitch Barone worked for Roy Cohn's law firm and explains the Cohn philosophy, which so influenced the young Donald Trump. Roy's philosophy was successful and simple. If in doubt, attack. A attack's the best form of defense. No, attack is the best form of everything. Just attack constantly, relentlessly. People don't know how to handle it. Someone says black, you shout white, white, white. I said f***ing white. <laughs> right in their faces until they shut the hell up. That was Roy's method. You work closely with Mr. Cohn. And his clients, yes. Right. Uh, of course, he's something of a controversial figure, isn't he? Is that right? Yes, it's, it's, it's well known, isn't it, that he was the lawyer for several mafia bosses. I think what you meant to say is that Mr. Cohn sometimes represented various people who worked in the import-export business, but some of whom were of Italian descent well, and were patriotic Americans who paid their taxes. Right. Could I ask you about the allegations that Mr. Cohn would sometimes use threats of actual physical violence? I think we're done here. What about the fact he was so close to Donald Trump? Can we talk about that? Where do you live? Guildford. In England, right? Yes, why? I'd just like to know where people live. It's always good to have the bigger picture if you get my meaning. Mr. Trump's casino. I'm afraid I have a meeting to attend, Michael. You have a safe journey back to Guildford and your family. You have a family? Yes. They're so precious, aren't they? You should hug them close. Take care now, you have yourself a nice day. Of course, we should stress that there is no evidence that Mr. Trump has connections with organised crime, merely that he is friends with people who have connections with organised crime. It's impossible to probe inside the psyche of Donald Trump without looking at one of the most controversial aspects of his personality, his attitudes to women. Svetlana Mirikova dated Donald Trump in the 1980s. I just don't recognize this portrait of Donald that I see in media. The Donald I dated was the perfect gentleman, caring, romantic. Yeah, he, he, he places great store by his reputation for sexual prowess, doesn't he? Could you possibly give us some kind of impression of what kind of lover he was? Um, well... Marla Maples, of course, she famously said that sex with Donald Trump was the best sex she'd ever had. No, I'm sorry. I'm really not comfortable with this line of questioning. Was that a... Please, no. These are private matters and I don't feel I should discuss them with... But your relationship with him was of a sexual nature. Well, 
Yes, but I don't want to talk about it because... Was the experience unpleasant in some way? No, 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 not at all. The sex was, um, well, it was... <laughs> it was what? Well, it was... Uh, relaxing. Relaxing? Yes, very relaxing. Could you give us a bit more detail? No, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that because, well, to be completely honest with you, I, I can't remember. Can't remember? No. Why can't you remember? <clears throat> well, it is uh, possible that I might have uh, dozed off. Dozed off? Yes. Well, after the sex? No. During the I really don't want to discuss this anymore. He was a total gentleman, and I think he will be courteous and respectful and excellent president. A few days after the interview, we began to wonder if Donald Trump had become aware we were making this documentary. Because Svetlana phoned to say she would like to re-record her interview, as she felt she might have misrepresented the true nature of their relationship. So, Svetlana, you, you weren't happy with the interview? No, I misspoke, and I would like to correct those misspeaks. Very well. Um, which misspeaks are you referring to? Uh, well, <clears throat> during our interview, I may have mistakenly given you the impression that I could not remember my relations with Mr. Donald Trump due to having fallen asleep during the sexual act. Whereas what I meant to say was that I do not remember anything due to me having blacked out from the overwhelming ecstasy. So... Because the sex was so beautiful, like you wouldn't believe it, and I orgasmed bigly, very bigly, and all my climaxes were like, wow. And I just lost consciousness because the sex was just too fantastic, like many of the women who have shared Mr. Trump's bed. Right. It's a very different account, isn't it? I have no further comment to make at this time. Donald Trump has always been extremely proud of his reputation as a Lothario. And it's a reputation that he began in his teens. His old school friend, Dean Burbage, remembers. Well, there were lots of young ladies who went out with Donald, usually just once, but uh, I can't remember ever seeing him without a pretty little thing on his arm. And then as Donald grew older... And the dates became a little harder for him to secure. His dad started bussing women in from other states and uh, Mexico, Puerto Rico. And there was a Chinese girl, but she uh, laughed at his grammar and that left him with a lifelong hatred of the Chinese. Throughout his life, Donald Trump has viewed beautiful women as trophies. In the early 1990s, BBC journalist and newsreader Serena Lambert filmed a documentary about him. She got first-hand experience of Trump the ladies' man. Well, I spent two weeks shadowing Donald Trump with a film crew recording his day-to-day -day lifestyle. And how did you find him? He was attentive. Attentive? Yes, very attentive. But, you know, as a professional, I knew it was important to keep my distance. So you kept him at arm's length? As far as possible, yes. Though his arms are surprisingly long. And always busy. But, you know, I'm a trained journalist, so I knew it was important to, for example, not accept any gifts or... He offered you gifts? Well, yes, but... Can you give me an example? Well, um... 
On our first day filming in New York, he wanted to show me how big his tower was. So he took me to Trump Tower and I admired it and said it was very beautiful. And he said that I was very beautiful and then asked me if I would like a tower and offered to build me one with my name written up the side. And I laughed. But then he produced an architect's model that he'd already had made. So I started to feel a little uncomfortable. Mm. Then I made my excuses and left, as any top-rate journalist would. Yeah. But then the unsolicited gifts kept coming. Um, Champagne, flowers, diamonds, a baby rhino, um, gold, of course, lots of ingots. But I sent them all back, needless to say, as per my BBC contract. Mm. And eventually we finished filming and I returned to the UK. And did the flow of gifts stop? No. uh, The day after I got back to my flat in London, a very large packing crate was delivered, which obviously I tried to refuse, but the delivery men said that Mr Trump had told them not to take no for an answer, so they just dumped it in the hall. Did you open it? Yes. And what was in the crate? He was. He posted himself to you? Yes. Right. So what did you do? Well, it was all a little awkward, really. Um, I tried to explain that I regarded our connection as purely professional, but one of Mr Trump's qualities is that he's very persistent and determined. But in the end, I was able to make it clear to him I had no interest in a physical relationship. How did you do that? With the fire extinguisher. And after this was broadcast... What was his reaction to your documentary? I didn't like it. So he started writing angry letters saying I'd betrayed him and so forth. And I even got them many years after I'd retired from the world of journalism. How many letters did you receive? On average, two a day. Not Sundays, obviously, because there's no post. Although he sometimes sent them by courier. But he kept them coming. Week after week, month after month. And when did you receive the last one? Um... Three hours ago, I think. One theme that runs through so much of Donald Trump's mindset is the importance of appearances. He's spoken many times about the look and how it can exude power. His own look is very distinctive, of course. The long coats, the long ties, the arresting colour of his face, and perhaps most notoriously, the hair. Sergio Ramirez has been Donald Trump's personal hairdresser for 28 years. I met him in a cocktail bar in Greenwich Village. Everyone has got the Donald all wrong. He is a magical person. Magical! He gives us so much light and beauty. And he is so sweet and warm and patient. Patient? Oh, yes. Very patient. He has to be because it takes five hours to do his hair. Five hours? Yes. A lot of people would get grouchy and grumpy, but he just sits there tweeting away and saying funny, jokey thing like, uh, take that, bitch, and die, Baldwin. This is scream. <laughs> why, why does it take so long to do his hair? What do you do? I can't tell you it's a secret, you naughty English person. But no, really, I can't tell you this is not going to happen. Oh, fair enough. Can I get you another margarita? Of course. Viva margarita! Keep them coming, Michael. A few hours later, Sergio felt a lot more relaxed about discussing the president's hairstyling. First, primo, number one, it is his hair, his hair, but quite a lot of it is his hair that he grew a long time ago. 
that was then woven into a permanent hairpiece, and every morning it is re-glued to the base of his skull at the back. Then re-dyed and then combed up and over his forehead to make the quiff, and then re-lacquered, and then you have to allow two hours for the whole thing to settle. Like a souffle. Right. It's a freaking nightmare, Michael. All that dying and lacquering means the hair is so dry and brittle. I mean, one false move and I could break the president's hair. Following that interview, Sergio Ramirez is no longer President Trump's personal hairdresser. Indeed, it's our understanding that he has since been deported. So far, we've been unable to trace his whereabouts. The look may be important to Donald Trump, but he didn't get to become the president on looks alone. To achieve that, the man has to have had some substance. Lamar Henderson has written an officially endorsed biography of Donald Trump. Well, if you look at his business career, one quality shines through. Resilience. The man always bounces back. Every time, if he had a business disaster, he always bounced back. He's proved everyone wrong again and again. Uh, across his business career, how many disasters has he had? Oh, I think it works out at about three a year. But you know, like I say, he always bounced back, often using the, uh, the trampoline of bankruptcy. Uh, he's a remarkable guy. He's a fighter. And that's what you want in a president. He had a spectacular failure with his casinos, didn't he? He certainly did. A lot of people have remarked it's almost impossible to make a loss with casinos. Well, there you go. He proved them wrong again just like he did last November. He's also been accused of exaggerating his wealth. <laughs> well, th there's a grey area, because um, he values the Trump name as having a commercial value of several billion dollars, and it's impossible to prove that he's wrong about that. But it's also impossible to prove that he's right. Again, the man defies the norms. He writes his own rules, he's a genius. So, you know, it's a case of hold on to your hat, America. It's going to be a crazy ride. Whatever setbacks he might have had to overcome, there's no doubt that Donald Trump's fortunes were transformed by a TV program. It made him a presence, a personality in millions of American homes. It was called The Apprentice. Laverne Terry was one of the 27 assistant producers on the first series. I asked her exactly how Donald Trump became a reality TV star. Well, initially, Mr. Trump was uncertain if he wanted to get involved in a reality TV show because, well, I think he was put off by the word reality. But once we'd reassured him that absolutely no reality would be involved, then he wanted in. Was there a pilot? Yes, there was. And once Mr. Trump saw it, he was very excited because I think he took one look at the kind of contestants we'd be having and he saw a show where he would always be the most likable person on the screen. And there weren't many shows that could do that for him. If any. Troy McDowell was one of the executive producers for the first two series. How did he find Donald Trump to work with? Well, Donald was stimulating. You know, he has his own particular way of looking at things, which can be challenging. But I enjoy a creative environment where ideas are challenged because that just sharpens things up. And that's part of what makes the Donald tickety tick. Are you OK? What? Are you OK? You seem to be twitching quite a lot. No, um, it's fine. Just ignore that. It'll pass. You're happy to answer my questions? Sure. Let's revisit memory lane. And uh, could you pass me that water? Of course. <clears throat> okay. Shoot. So, uh, from what you're saying, it sounds like Mr. Trump had a lot of input. Hell of a lot of input. Yeah. 
Did he always get his way? No, not always. Uh, for instance, the health and safety people vetoed his notion of a trap door for losing contestants to plummet through. They refused to allow that? Yeah. And the crocodiles. Crocodiles? Yeah, Donald felt the show needed more jeopardy, but the network stood firm and, you know, the format soon settled down. And the rouse stopped? Well, the creative discussions were ongoing, especially about the branding. But again, health and safety said that branding, losing contestants with branding irons was not acceptable. This all sounds very extreme. Well, I think Mr. Trump always felt that for the losers, just being publicly fired was not humiliation enough. He, uh, he has a deep contempt for losers, which he would often express. And uh, can we open a window? I'm just feeling a little... Of course. Allow me. Are those hives? What? Uh, on your neck. Are those... Oh, uh, yeah, I, I get these sometimes whenever I think about working with... Okay, I'm going to need to lie down. Adela Svensson was a contestant on Series 1 of The Apprentice. She formed a very clear impression of the Donald. I looked at him and I thought, like, instantly, winner. And I knew he was a winner because I'm a winner and winners attract winners. Also, I'm professional in every aspect of my professionalism, but he was, like, ultra, super professional. He only ever did one take of anything. One take. Never a second take. And they'd, like, say, could we go for that again, Mr. Trump? And he'd say, no, that was perfect. And they'd say, like, but you said the words wrong? And he'd say, you sort that out. That's your job. Because one of his strengths is delegating, right? He's got this mindset that teaches you so much. And now he's president, I reckon that'll teach America. So you were impressed? Totally impressed. He never lost focus. Not even when that producer tried to slit his own wrist. Oh, what was his name? Troy? Yeah, that's it, Troy. It was The Apprentice that was to prove the launch pad for Donald Trump's extraordinary ascent to power. In the next episode, we'll be probing deep into the core of Donald Trump the president. Anger. That's what made America vote Trump. They just focus obsessively on the words that come out of the president's mouth mm -hmm. rather than what's in his soul. It could have been worse. He made Mitt Romney juggle live lobsters. Join us next time as we go inside. Ah, there you are. Nigel. Wouldn't return my calls, eh? Nigel, please. See, where I'm from, um, that's called etiquette. <laughs> Nigel, please. You know, if somebody leaves you a message, Look, the right thing to do is to get back to them. Please leave the studio. Inside Donald Trump was created by Andy Hamilton and presented by Michael Burke. It was edited by Andy Goddard and John Harvey and produced by Claire Broughton. Our talented team of contributors included Ronnie Ancona, Kevin Bishop, Hugh Dennis, Dimitri Garitas, Corey Johnson, Lorelai King, Lewis McLeod, Jimmy Mulville, Philip Pope and Claire Skinner. The associate producers on the project were David Griffiths, Douglas Penman, Helen Russell, Georgina Lippiet, Robert Cole, Nick Walpole, Lord Bregevin, Verity Vizlocki, Colin Bond, Christopher Collingridge, Jeff Patterson, John Wood, Jan O'Malley, Elric Williams, Yvonne Maddox, Julian Benton and Amro Jabril. With special thanks to John Mitchison and Matthew Clayton. Inside Donald Trump is a hat-trick production for Unbound.